we're going to look uh, at a piece of text today, a long piece of text. Uh, and the point of it is, is that Peter, he's the primary character in this. There's a few others, but he's the primary character in something that he had learned and what he kind of thought he had learned. It maybe wasn't necessarily the intention of it. Changes later in life. It's a big shift for him. Often we'll find, uh, even in our own lives, and, and we kind of make light of it and joke around about it, but there are traditions, there are beliefs, there are practices, there are prejudices that we have that maybe we thought to be true and accurate and factual at one time that sometimes when we get older maybe isn't the case. Or maybe specifically when we look into God's Word we find, ah, that's, that's not quite what that was intended to mean. We're going to see that happen today with Peter. We finished uh, last week in, in Acts chapter 9. Today we'll be in Acts chapter 10, so you can go ahead and turn there if I haven't told you that yet. Um, and we're in this transition period in the book of Acts. Chapters 9 through 12 are kind of a, kind of a hinge point uh, in the book of Acts. Leading up in the beginning, Peter is kind of the primary character, the primary person that a lot of this work is going through that's taking place. Uh, which makes sense because Jesus told Peter that you're going to be the one that I'm going to build my church on. And we see that to be true as we, as we begin looking through the early parts of Acts. Uh, but there's this transitioning that's happening. We kind of introduced that last week with the conversion of Saul in chapter 9. Uh, Saul, the, the greatest persecutor of the people who called themselves the way. Remember, they didn't really have a name yet. Uh, they were just Jews that were following Jesus and they believed to be following the true way. That Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And so, so Saul, the greatest persecutor of those people, has an encounter with Jesus. And it completely and radically transforms his life. And now he becomes uh, you know, the greatest advocate to, to share the gospel. And so the persecutor becomes the persecuted. And then we're going to see this week specifically, the uniqueness of this is why this becomes such a pivotal moment. Uh, is that Peter, because Peter is kind of the man. He's the man that, that Jesus said, you're the one that I'm going to build my church on. Uh, his understanding of the mission, his understanding of how they would move forward, really gives uh, a lot of weight to what Paul is going to do. And so we'll see it kind of shifts in, verse, or in chapter 13 that, that Paul is one of the primary characters uh, as we work our way through. So let's look, beginning... In verse 1, we're going to do a lot of start and stop here at the beginning. I'm going to read a few big chunks, and I'm going to paraphrase some big chunks. This narrative really begins in, in verse 1 and runs through chapter 11, verse 18. Uh, it's the longest narrative in the book of Acts, and I don't think that's by coincidence. I think that's specific to show the importance of what is taking place, what's transpiring in this moment. Uh, and so we won't read all of that, but I'm going to point out several things as we work our way through. Beginning in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So we begin specifically with a Gentile, okay? Not a Jew. Cornelius was a, a military man in the city of Caesarea. And a centurion, think century. Uh, How many years are in a century? A hundred. I was like, surely somebody knows that. A hundred, right? So think Centurion. He was, a, he was an officer. He was a military commander. So how many people was he in charge of? One hundred. Good job. 
All right, you guys are going to have to pick it up a little bit. We've got a lot to get through, and this is going to take a long time if we if, if we got to answer some questions. All right, Caesarea was significant. It started around 6 AD. It was the, the capital, uh, kind of the um, uh, capital city, and it's where the Roman governor sat. Okay, so you have a lot of Gentiles here. It's a Hellenistic city uh, and a dominant Gentile population. Remember, when we're thinking about the ancient world, particularly in the New Testament, we're kind of looking at a lot of times two populations, your Jew or your Gentile. You're either of uh, Hebrew descent, the nation of Israel, or you're not. Okay, so Jew and Gentile, that's what we're looking at. So verse 2, pick back up. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Okay, again, Cornelius was not a Jew, but he was a devout man who feared God. Now the fact that he's referred to by name probably uh, clues us in that he was well known in this community. A lot of people probably knew who he was. Uh, And... He gives alms. That's not a word we use in our kind of common modern language. So what is that? Um, the Hebrew word, when it was translated to Greek, to where they get the Greek word alms, it's not Greek. It's not alms in Greek. You know what I'm saying? Um, often in, in the Old Testament, that same word would mean righteousness or justice or mercy. When you get to the New Testament, then it's often translated to giving, towards, giving to the poor. Okay, so you kind of combine all of those ideas, and this is describing and, and defining for us, giving us an identity of who Cornelius was. He was an upright man. He was a military commander in a very prominent city. Um, today's terminology, he would be like a captain in the army. He was a commander of a hundred people. Uh, he was well known. He was well liked. He was generous with his wealth. He he gave willingly and freely. He was righteous, kind of a just man. He showed mercy on people. Uh, and he prayed continually. We just sang a song about prayer. Cornelius is praying, but he's praying to God. He seems to understand uh, kind of this Hebrew God, but likely doesn't really know all that there is to know. So that's going to be important. Verse 3, it says, About the ninth hour of the day, this is about 3 p.m., coincides with... Um, the Jews' evening time of prayer and sacrifices. So it seems that he's likely keeping these traditions, these practices, these laws. And it also coincides with uh, Jesus' death on the cross. That's the time in which he died. Continuing in verse 3, it says, He saw clearly in a vision. So while he's praying, he sees clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. He said, What is it, Lord? And the Lord said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out. One is just kind of my own, where my mind goes when I read this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, and it says that he stared at him in terror. And I don't know if there's another way to stare at an angel of the Lord if it appears to you. I mean, he's terrified of what is just, what is this? He says, yes, Lord, what is this? Now, Cornelius isn't given a reason at this point. Only instructions. 
And as a man who feared God, he responds appropriately. And I think there's some significance with that even in the position that he holds within the military. There's oftentimes in the military, John, you know this, that you're told to do something and you don't say, why? You don't say, well, what, what's the purpose of that? You're told to do it and you do it. Cornelius is instructed by this angel of God and he follows through and he sends some folks to go find Peter. Then in verse 9 it says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, as these men were traveling uh, to find Peter, Peter goes up on the housetop at about noon, that's the sixth hour, to pray. So Peter's now praying. Cornelius, it starts with this Gentile who's in prayer. He has this vision. Now Peter, he is praying on the rooftop, and he has a vision as well. I'm going to paraphrase a pretty good section here. So Peter, the vision that he sees is a large sheet drops down from heaven. And on this sheet are like pictures of all kinds of animals, wild beasts. Everything is on this sheet. And the Lord says to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Peter refuses. He, he says, I've, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, Peter was a Jew, okay, a Hebrew. He was born a Jew, raised as a Jew, and a significant part of the Jewish life uh, is compliance with the law. And a major component of that has to do with uh, the kosher regulations, what and how you eat. So it's really important. Now, everything about the law was designed for, uh, to guide the people, designed to guide God's people, the nation of Israel, into living a holy life. Now, we get upset sometimes um, now thinking about a new covenant and an old covenant. And some people kind of want to do away with everything that they see or hear in the Old Testament. But this was not all bad. God had given his law to his people to show them how to live differently than everybody else. I want you to be set apart. I want people to look at you and there to be a distinction that you serve me and that serving me looks different than what the rest of society looks like. Now, when you put it that way, that makes a little bit more sense, I think, to us. We understand that now, even as, as followers of Jesus, that the way that we live our lives should be distinct. When everybody else lives, speaks, acts this way, my life is going to look different because of what Jesus has done in my life. It's the same kind of idea. God is trying to guide his people to be differently. And so part of that for Peter and for all of the Jews was to follow the law. And part of that was what they ate and how they ate it. And because of these distinctions, they didn't enter into the home of a non-Jew to go sit down at the table and have a meal with them. And Peter says, God, I've, I've never done that. Now, remember, it's a vision, but he's refusing what God is telling him. Rise, kill, and eat, Peter. No, I'm not going to. Now, this is significant. Even as, as we think about... Um, the story of God in all of this, it, it starts with, with one man and woman, Adam and Eve. With the purpose of being fruitful in what? Multiplying. Okay, you have image bearers of God commanded to be fruitful and multiply. To multiply themselves. To fill the earth with God's image. Now from the very beginning, that was God's intention. Now, that's distorted almost immediately by sin in Genesis 3. 
But we see uh, that there's consequences to this sin, but God also gave a promise. And the promise was a, a future seed, a child, uh, an offspring that would come that would defeat sin, death, and Satan. And so God continues to work. As we follow this story of God all the way through, God continues to work. And he works kind of initially in, in individuals, uh, in Moses or Noah and then Abraham. And we see Abraham that turns into a family. He works through this entire family to do what? To make his name known, to make his glory known throughout all the earth. This doesn't really change. It gets distorted, but it doesn't change. And then, and then his family becomes a nation, and God is working through this nation all the way through the Old Testament to make his glory known. Now, he does that in unique ways uh, with these people and these individuals and these families and this nation. But that storyline, we followed it all the way through the Old Testament, now into the New and we see that Jesus is, is that seed. We've, we've observed that as we've looked at the text. To defeat sin and death. And now we find Peter. A Jew. Who has been faithful to maintain these eating regulations. He's now facing a whole new proposition. Okay. Peter has learned something from the time that he was a child all the way to this point. Even as he was with Jesus. And now what he, he thought was the way that he was supposed to kind of understand this, these, these kosher laws, these eating regulations. That God is saying, no, I'm, there's something different here. And Peter has a hard time grasping this. This, this happens three times. Three times he says, rise, kill, and eat. Peter says, no. Rise, kill, and eat. Absolutely not. Rise, kill, and eat. I've never done that. Why would I do that now? The sheet ascends back into heaven, and Peter sits on the roof, confused. Have you ever heard from the Lord about something, and, and you felt like you heard clearly what he said, but you just didn't understand what it meant? You just weren't sure what to do with that? This is Peter in this moment. He's had this encounter this vision, and now he sits on the roof, utterly confused. But at about that time, his vision ends. He's sitting on the roof, confused, trying to discern and understand what God is trying to get him to do. Some people come and knock on the door. Pick up in verse 19. It says, And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for you coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Let me point out a couple of things. The Spirit. The Spirit speaks directly to Peter. This is the same Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God speaks to Peter. It's the same one that for you and I as followers of Jesus who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit according to God's Word. That's the same Spirit. The same Spirit that spoke to Peter is the same Spirit that lives inside of you and me. It's nothing different. It's nothing more exceptional. It's nothing more profound. The question is, is, is 
do you recognize the voice of the Spirit when he speaks to you? Secondly, this is the first time that we learn that the purpose of Peter's visit to Cornelius will the purpose of Peter's visit will be to speak to Cornelius. To share with them all that he knows about Jesus, essentially. Now, it's still not completely clear, but he'll figure that out a little bit more as he goes. Cornelius was directed by a, a holy angel. And at this point, we can kind of guess as we're reading it, as the, as the reader, that, that he's going to share the gospel. But, but Peter knows I'm going to go and talk to this guy, but... I know already that he's a Gentile. Uh, he's a military guy. I'm a Jew. I've been telling Jews about Jesus, but I've also just come off the roof with this crazy wild vision. And, and now the Spirit has sent these men to come get me. It's a wild scene. Like there are some wild things that are taking place that, that only God can orchestrate. See, Cornelius didn't do anything to earn this. He was a God-fearing man. He prayed. He was generous. Those are all good things. But God approaches him. At the same time, he's approaching Peter and doing something unique in Peter's life. So you've got these two separate things that are all being directed and orchestrated by God. Let me Let me paraphrase just a little bit more the next day they leave so peter invites them in all right i don't know what god's doing but he's doing something you guys come in you can stay here the night tomorrow we'll leave and so they do they begin their journey and then the following day they arrive and upon peter's arrival cornelius is beside himself so imagine if you're cornelius he's a a a captain in the the army essentially he's well thought of both within the people that he leads but the entire jewish community and he's had this strange uh, visit from a holy angel about this man, Peter. But he's excited. And so he's sent for them to go get him, and he's anticipating, hopefully, I guess, Peter's coming back. So what's he do? He grabs all of his relatives and all of his friends and brings them to the house. Hey, you guys got to come here. I don't know what's about to happen, but I'm telling you, I had this, there was this angel there's a whole thing. I've got this guy coming, and he's got something for us. He's going to tell us something. So he gathers everybody. You guys have got to be here. And so they're there waiting on him. And when, when Peter walks in, Cornelius falls to the ground to pay respect to Peter, to worship him. And Peter quickly corrects that and says, stand up. Look, I'm just a man like you. And in that moment, Peter begins to understand a little bit more of of what's going on, a little bit more of this vision that he has. He says, you yourselves know. Like, you guys know. He's entered the house. Y'all know. You're, you're Gentiles. I'm a Jew. You know that even me coming in here, it's not really okay. In fact, he, he says specifically, it's against the law. It's unlawful for me to do this with you guys. So you know what's going on that really I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this. But he's doing it anyway. Verse 28, the second half of verse 28, it says, But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter's grasping that that vision wasn't just about what he ate. What he ate was significant because of the laws and the regulations that God had given the people of Israel. But it wasn't simply about what he ate. Following that law, following that rule, kind of 
kept him out of the homes of other people, other people that are also made in the image of God. Now Peter recognizes and and he realizes that it's not just about the animals, it's about people. And this is this is significant. He's he's followed his rules his whole life, right? His whole life he's he's lived according to this law, this regulation. Thinking that he's always following it the right way. And and to some degree, uh, he was. It wasn't wrong. But this same type of mentality, the same type of thought process, this same kind of tradition that had been developed among the Jews was the same thing that was keeping him from taking this message, this good news, to everybody. It's a complete paradigm shift for, for Peter. Verse 33, the second part of verse 33. Peter wants to know why they're there, and so he asks. And they said, Cornelius says, We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. I know we've all come here today to worship. And you came to hear preaching to some degree or another. You wanted to sing. Uh, you're going to be around some other folks. You're going to read. You're going to pray. You may confess sin. You may give. You may do a lot of things. But listen, Dave, how cool would it be to just show up somewhere and they say, I want to hear all of it. So what's Peter do? I'll tell you what Peter does. He preaches. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. It's the same message that Peter has preached multiple times already as we've looked through the book of Acts. It's the same gospel. It's the same good news. Now, there are a few differences as you look back. He points out some different things. He's he's preaching in a little bit different context. And I'm not going to go into all of those. But I want to point out one thing. In verse 34, he says, Truly I understand that God shows no 
partiality or no favoritism, your, your translation may read. And this word is constructed off of uh, kind of the Hebrew saying to lift a face. And the idea was that uh, you don't lift a face to one and then look down on another. That God doesn't lift his face to look upon one and to look down on another. Peter gets it in this moment. Truly now, I understand that God shows no partiality. That this message that we've been preaching is for everybody. To include you in this house. You brought everybody here to listen. And here's what I have to say. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter doesn't even finish preaching. In the next section it says the Holy Spirit falls upon all who hear. All who hear. And you have what many commentators call this kind of the Gentile Pentecost. Remember we looked at Pentecost uh, several weeks ago. This is that they were speaking in tongues. Not, they weren't making up a new language. There's, there's different people represented here. Just like we saw uh, in Acts 2, this idea of, of speaking in tongues, that people spoke in their own language and everybody could hear. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And the same Holy Spirit that fell at Pentecost is the same Holy Spirit that falls upon them uh, in this moment in Cornelius' house among all the Gentiles. Only Gentile people. And Peter, who has been previously just traveling to speak and to share with the Jews, now realizes that the same thing occurs here, that God has offered his spirit to not only us as Jews, as his chosen people, but to all people, because all people bear the image of God. He says, who can prevent him from being baptized? We saw the eunuch a couple of weeks ago. Why can't I get baptized right here, right now? So Peter's traveling with a few guys. I think there was six. I don't remember. You can look. I may be wrong. There's a few guys. And so they're witnesses, other Jews that have been traveling with Peter as he's been going around to these different communities and sharing the news about Jesus. And they're with him. And he's like, can we not baptize these? Why couldn't we baptize these people? These people have had the same experience that we've had. And, and nobody has any reason not to and so they're baptized so you have this tremendous moment but the word travels fast so they stay there for a few days and and following these events peter travels back to jerusalem so if you start cruising over into chapter 11 now i told you this was a long section peter travels back to jerusalem and all the other jesus following jews have heard the news And what do they begin to do? They begin to criticize Peter. Like their initial response is like, hey, bro, like that's not cool. You can't do that. You shouldn't have done that. Why were you doing that? And so Peter retells the story. He recounts his vision. He recounts Cornelius' interaction with God. And he goes back through all of it. He doesn't back down. And then... The narrative ends in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 11. He says, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. God's grace was and always has been for all people. Sin has and still utterly distorts that idea. And the Jewish people had misunderstood, and, and there's reasons for that. I mean, you can go back and look at different encounters, but they had misunderstood. And the early disciples and the apostles, they hadn't fully grasped the scope of God's grace to all people. But it was in this moment that really shifted the course of the early church. It's not an immediate overnight shift for all the followers of Jesus. It takes time. And the news begins to travel and spread. But immediately, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slip out of this scene and we're going to go into the next scene. As you're reading through Acts, this is kind of the end point and it shifts into a different context. Verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution... That arose over Stephen. Remember we hit that a couple weeks ago. Saul was driving that. He was spearheading that. Now Saul's come to know the Lord. Saul was given a mission last week. We talked about this. He's given the mission. He's the chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Who's Saul? He killed some folks. He was uh, endorsing that. He endorsed this. And because of that, the people split. They scattered. And they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus, it says, and Antioch, speaking the word to who? To no one except Jews. This is what everybody was doing. It's not just Peter. The disciples were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. They, they had come out of this, this nation that had been identified by God to be God's chosen people but for the purpose of displaying his glory to all people. This is what they were doing. Remember, they had been anticipating this Messiah, this seed, this chosen one. Who would defeat sin and Satan and death. They had been waiting on that as, a, as an entire race of people. And now they've experienced it. They realize that this is Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. And so what are they doing? They're telling all the other Jews that have been waiting on it too. Hey, look, we've been waiting. He's here. You guys weren't there. You kind of missed it. But he came. He died. He rose again. And now he's left again. We saw him go into heaven with the Father. But that's him. The one that all the prophets talk about, it was Jesus. That's the guy. And so they're going around telling all their people about this. And God says, it's not just them. It's not just for them. It's for Cornelius, too. And for his family. It's for everybody that's not Jewish. It's for the entire world. Now this is significant for multiple reasons. One specifically of which we hit Saul last week. Saul's going to be the chosen instrument that takes this message to all the Gentiles. But Peter is the one who Jesus says, I'm going to build my church upon you. If Peter doesn't endorse this, if Peter doesn't understand this, who knows how the rest of the book of Acts would go? 
Saul had a mission, but Peter is going to shut it down at every turn, potentially. We don't know. We're speculating. But Peter, as the leader of the church in Jerusalem, as the guy that Jesus is going to build the church on, has to have this experience at this moment to see that God's grace is for all people. So that not only Paul can go out, but that Peter can go out. That all the apostles will go out. That this news will be spread throughout all the world. For the rest of time. Until Jesus returns. Some days it's difficult to make, to take, a, to take an ancient text and, and bring it forward. And see its relevance and its application. Today's not. Because if this doesn't occur, if God chose not for this to happen, if God said this is for just the Jewish people, we might be hanging out somewhere else for some other reason because we like each other, but we wouldn't be doing this this morning. God's grace has been extended to you specifically through these events. This moment is a catalytic moment in the life of the church. The church needed a, this is the title of the sermon, a facelift, right? It needed to understand that something else had to, it needed to look differently than how it had looked to begin with. It wasn't necessarily all, all bad or all wrong. It was just going to be bigger. Peter needed to understand this unified mission that God had called him to, that he had sent him to, that he was, he was leading at this very moment. And that mission continues today. To make the gospel known to all people everywhere. It hasn't changed. Jews and Gentiles alike. As a follower of Jesus... You and I have been commissioned with this task of making disciples. Of making his name known throughout all the earth. And it begins for us here. It begins in our homes. It begins where we work. Where we play. It begins in our friendships and in our relatives. But it's not just that. It's not just those that are closest to us. I'm guessing that somewhere along the line, you've developed some type of tradition or practice or belief or maybe a prejudice of some kind that hinders you from fully participating in the mission of Jesus. Maybe not. But I'm guessing that there's something in some way that you can kind of relate to this. Here, I'll give you a practical example on a large scale. The The evangelical church in the West, in America, the modern American church. Are we mostly making Jesus known among people who are far from God? Or in some cases, in some ways, maybe are we just circulating other people who know Jesus in and out of churches? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. That's kind, of, that's kind of the same here. You see that? They were just telling the Jews. 
Well, if I just go and tell more people that know about Jesus, hey, you know about Jesus? You like Jesus? Yeah, cool. Yeah, we do. You should come to our church. You don't like that church. And they kind of suck anyway. Come to our church. It's not that different. And our, our prejudice against whoever it may be, whether it's racial or it's personality-driven or it's circumstantial, keeps us from taking this good news to the people who so desperately need it. This task, this, this unified mission, we all participate in that. We're all called to that. To engage our communities with, with the unconditional love of God. Never compromising with his truth. Unified for the mission of making disciples. And if you're not participating in that in your life, not attaching yourself to somebody or something that does, but you, then you might as well just be walking around telling some Jews about Jesus. Telling other people who already know. Because this is what the gospel is. It's not a treasure to be hidden and protected. It's to be displayed and entrusted to all who would listen and respond to the glorious news of Jesus Christ. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. God has indeed granted repentance that leads to life. The question for us then is how do we align ourselves with what Jesus is already doing? What he's been doing for 2,000 years. Let's stand. We're going to sing one last song. Before we do, I'm going to pray. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to take just a moment in prayer and to kind of reflect on your own life. What what hindrances exist in your own life? Maybe they're traditions. Maybe they're expectations. Maybe there's certain practices that you have. Maybe it's a prejudice that exists. But what barrier is there right now in your life that's, that's keeping you from being fully in on this mission that Jesus has for you? And it's going to look different from each one of us in here. The people that we know, the way that we've lived, the experiences that we've had, the, the, the ways in which God has shaped and designed us all uniquely. It's going to look different. But what's keeping you from living that out? God, wouldn't you want to have this kind of experience that Peter saw? To observe the Holy Spirit come upon somebody as you share with them this same good news that Peter preached. Lay that before the Lord.
Father, there is one message and one mission. Help us as individuals and together as a family of faith to adhere to both. And express your unconditional love to all those around us. Showing no partiality, no favoritism, no prejudice. 